You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. How would you like to ramp up your club's game day atmosphere? Big Screen Video is giving 10 lucky sports clubs the chance to win a $10,000 grant towards their own digital scoreboard. Register now at iCanWin.com.au slash BSV. It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood. For BF Goodrich, celebrating 150 years. Hello and welcome to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich to celebrate the 150th anniversary of BF Goodrich. Get up to $150 cash back when you purchase four or more passenger or SUV tyres. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. Good morning, Patrick. And I think... uh Paul Gill and all the uh, managers and anyone that plays a role in any AFL team right around the country, his busiest time of the year is now well, in the think, AFL. It has to be, doesn't it? You're, you're 100% right. Most people think once the season finishes, it's like, <laughs> oh, God, at least you can have a few months off now. Well, Busy year with COVID and how everything's been. If you're in an administration, particularly the footy department side of, in, of administration, it's hectic. We've just finished the AFL trade period, as you said. And now we're building up for the AFL draft. And then obviously not long after that is AFLW, the preseason for that started. So um, it's all happening. Now, few questions for yourself. Obviously, you have a fair bit to do. You think you run the joint, but... <laughs> You've done your research. <laughs> I've done my research. Uh, a few new rules look like they're going to come into the... Or not look like they're looking at to be considered for next year's AFL season. So that's, uh, the, that's the word, considered. Considered. Yes. Man on the mark. Uh, being pushed back an extra five when kicking out from the goal square. Thoughts on that? So that's to try and create, I guess, more scoring opportunities and the likes down the field and stop the stop the what congestion down in the forward line as well. Your thoughts on that? Well, I thought we were here to talk about fishing, but <laughs> I, I, I will. I'll, I like uh, me AFL. You got me sucked in this year. Indul- Let me down. I'll indulge you for a couple. Of, hey, we're not talking now. <laughs> I'll indulge you for a couple of minutes. Uh, we we had our AFL competitions committee meeting on Wednesday, our last for the year. So basically, there's a few representatives from every club. Uh, or most clubs around the country, whether it be CEOs, presidents, uh, head of footy. Um, I sit on it as the, the president of the PA. Uh, and, and that was certainly one of the things that we discussed. And, and I must admit, I really like it. One of the important pieces for uh, introduction to rule changes you know, earlier this year and late last year was obviously how you could walk straight out of the defensive goal square and kick the ball in. Um, and it probably didn't, have as big an influence on scoring chains from kick-ins to your offensive end. So taking the ball literally in one flowing play from kick out of fullback to scoring at full forward. So I think this is a potential. And I know people continually complain about, stop changing the rules, stop changing mm. the rules. Well, well, these these are implemented to try and make the game more watchable. So... We've got to continue to adjust and adapt as a code because the coaching has never been better when it comes to the game. 
and and most coaches are really defense. Defense, I bet they're all defense yeah. because that's you know that's a lot of how you win. You restrict the opposition from scoring. So we're trying to, to which is classified as boring football. <laughs> <laughs> can be. Um, so what we're trying to do is open that field of play up, make it harder to def- to defend off kick-ins, and I think this is certainly one that that could potentially um, spread the the area. Um, make it harder for defences to, to lock teams in their defensive half. And hopefully that means more free-flowing footy and higher scores. Because at the end of, the, end of the day, people want to come in and watch AFL footy. Jeremy Cameron kick 10. And they want to see, <laughs> they want to see Jezza kick 10. Yeah, he's not a bad, he's not a bad addition. What, what else have you got for me whilst you're on the, your, well, your tangent? What about uh, your uh, interchange? I think they're going looking at or considering to cap it. I think it was around 60 uh, interchange for each side. Uh, thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm not a massive fan of it. It sits at 90 currently, and we use majority, you know, that bang on every every single week. My thing is, um, you know, current players cop enough flack as it is for missed goals and, and skills, um, and it's fatiguing. It would be fatiguing players even more. Uh, and I know mm. David King has spoken about this um, during the week, and I tend to agree with him. Fatiguing players even more isn't going to necessarily, I don't think, open up the play. It may there's certainly plenty that have the philosophy that it will. I'm a bit of a sceptic on it. Um, we are already asking our players to do a huge amount. Where the, the, Whether the, they do or not, two different things. Well, the, <laughs> it, the, the argument becomes murky because I don't think we'll head back to 20-minute quarters, which you know, yeah, okay. we obviously yep. reduced it to six and a half this year. I think there's a middle ground there, sort of around the 18 mark, which I think would probably work. So you, you do need less interchanges because of that. So I think that's... You know, that's probably some of the AFL's thinking and where they're sort of slowly pushing this towards. So it will be interesting to see. I've got one more question for you. I'm going to pull you up there. What? Because we're running out of time. We're going to talk some fishing well, soon, Pat. Well, <laughs> Last question. Your problem. Well, what happens to the players that get delisted? Uh, now, is there some things in play to help assist them after footy, I guess, or to look for local clubs to go play for the likes because it's a let's be honest there's only a selected amount of players that have a, a lifespan in the football industry now a lot of them I think the average is oh what is it under two years or something two or three years no the average is about four years four years the um your initial contract is two years two years yep um that's a good question though like and and this is what's happening at the moment we've got a whole lot of players coming out of the uh the system and list sizes will reduce going into next year's um competition so um, that'll be an adjustment for everyone. And, and the challenging part is you, you have teammates that you absolutely love, um, but the, the time comes for you know the club to go in a different direction. They might not have developed the way that you'd like or players are retiring. So all of a sudden, yeah, that transition phase is a really big one for players. <coughs> Collingwood. <coughs> <laughs> I thought you were actually going to cough. No. <laughs> uh, um, so you, you go in a different direction. So as a PA, we have a transition um camp basically for our players to sort of um, open up sort of the doors and show them what's available. And most clubs are having these conversations right throughout the year, particularly the back end of the year. Once clubs are sort of, they're, they're finalising their list and there'll be some that'll be in sort of purgatory in the middle. They're not sure where, you know, which way it's going to go. And there's others, you know, have been told, you know, up until even the middle of the year, you look, it's probably not going to go your way come the end of the year. So we're going to help you, start to, to think about work outside and transition along that line. So, um, you know, footy doesn't last forever. Eventually, you're going to have to take up a, a different occupation and, and that for a lot of people and a lot of players is, is happening now. So, no doubt tough because it's such a great in- industry to be a part of, but 
as you know, for most people, you're not in that one occupation for for forty years. You know, you'll have different jobs throughout your working life, and and this is another case of that. Welcome to our real adventures, Jeremy Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, oh, I'm, I'm going to be careful with you. <laughs> get into um, trouble. Let's get into your week in fishing. Yep. I'm actually going to kick it off, Redmond. Go for because, it. Um, I did some, uh, got the kayak out during the week and I didn't intend to actually go fishing. All I decided, I thought That's I'd That's what you told Marty. Yeah. <laughs> tuck, tuck the rod in the back and had a hard body lure, three to five centimetres, um, sitting, you know, probably eight, eight metres off the back of the kayak. And it was literally just out there in case I saw something and bang, then I'd, then I'd fish for it. So I was just paddling up and just getting out of the house. Where so were you paddling? Panklake Creek. Panklake, yep. Yep, which is close to home. Um, and I ended up catching um, three estuary perch and one salmon. I didn't, like, I don't know how often salmon get into the Panclake Creek. Not often, I don't think. And had one of the just great sort of 40-minute little paddling expeditions I could ever possibly hope for. And they were hitting the hard body lure, which between me sort of slowing down and fasting uh, and fastening up at different stages when kayaking. So you were trolling. Oh, essentially trolling, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I wasn't, I wasn't searching for them. I was just sort of leaving. <laughs> so it just reinforced that no matter whenever you you go out into the outdoors, whether it's kayaking or or, or whatever, take a rod. Always have a rod, <laughs> whether it's in the back of the car or it's just dangling outside the back of the the kayak. Like these were good size estuary perch, and it turned a really relaxing after late afternoon into just. Magic, because I haven't fished. You for haven't ages. done that for a while, so it would have been all right. So, John Boy with you. John Boy is with me. Um, Fisher. So it was just, it was fantastic. So anyway, I digress. Your week in fishing. Ah, uh, this week, not not the nicest weather. This week had a couple of nice days. One thirty odd degree day. One twenty eight. But there it was, was that wind. There was the, yeah. There was uh, <laughs> roofs being blown. Oh, off. it was chaotic. So a couple of days off for myself on the water, which was I guess nice uh, to get a few things done around at home. Not that I had any time the last six months to do anything at home, but <laughs> but no, it was it, it stirred things up. Certain certain elements, uh, those sorts of elements from the wind create things to bite. So snapper went really well. We saw some great land based fishing yep. off the back of that north wind down at St Leonard's. There, I know Mornington fished well after that southwest blow on the Monday, and then beautiful. Wednesday offshore, I headed offshore, which was great to be out there. We've got some beautiful snapper, a couple of nana guy and the likes, gummy shark, you name it. We pretty much caught it this week once that weather improved. And it can be hard to fish in spring because the weather is so unpredictable. It, it, some days you've got 38 degrees weather, and then the next two days later, it's back down to 16, 14 degrees at times. And it plays a part on the water temperature, which creates different species to come in at different times. And Well, Tuesday was average. You know, Tuesday, Tuesday was, was miserable. 18 yep. degrees, like yep. it, it wasn't... Um, southeast wind, south, southwest, south and yep. southeast in the afternoon. I was going to snap a fish, I hummed it hard, and then sort of planned to do my day Wednesday instead. And then... Uh, Possibly we, you and I might uh, even head down to lakes after this if I can convince Kari to let me. We haven't <laughs> undecided yet, so you'll hear that next week if we do. But yeah, fishing, it's getting good, Pat. It really is getting good. But something that is more exciting uh, than ever, especially for myself, is the crayfish season and the abalone season is now open here in Victoria. No, you will not see me in the water for a, maybe a week or two weeks till it warms up a bit because I am a bit of a pussy. I don't like going in that cold, cold water. The <laughs> water's still, I think it's only 14 degrees in the ocean from memory on Wednesday. And that's surface temp. That's not even, 
where I'm finding crayfish. So yep. it's quite cold. But uh, just, there's a few there's a few rules and regulations amongst crayfish and abalone. It's something you need to be very. Now I don't say this as in like do do wrong with other species, but the fisheries will go the extra mile to make it a little bit harder because they. There's so many people that do the not so many people. There's a selected amount of people that do the wrong things at times because of the money that's involved with abalone, the little crayfish, yep. and the black market. So they will do their best to, to catch you do, doing the wrong. And it can be scary at times when you're down there grabbing a cray and all of a sudden knock, knock on your shoulder. A fisheries officer's waving it with his badge, which does happen all, a hell of a lot. So what, don't, underwater. Underwater, it scares the crap out of you. The dive knife nearly comes out. It happens all the time. Yep. You're joking. Fisheries, will, you'll be up down the bottom and you'll just look look up and you'll see the little dinghy up there and your fisheries officer will wave you up to the top or something or he'll wait till you come up on your dive. Well, I thought you meant like he was... Like coming under the water. Nah, dead. Like he, he's, he's tapping your shoulder. Yeah, side. on the border where you're grabbing your craze. And they'll say, come up, yeah. No, yeah. I meant like he's snorkeling there with you. Yeah, he is. You're kidding. You're down the bottom, on the ground, while you're in crayfish land. 100%. <laughs> but just a couple of... Yeah, they literally come down and I've been... And they film you and the likes in case yep. you're doing the wrong thing because yep. you're not allowed to... Uh, in Victoria, you're not allowed to use snares and the likes to get your crayfish. You're not allowed to use spear guns. It's all by hand. So there's so many different rules and... Re- not so many different rules and regs. There are rules and regs in play. And you might agree with some, you might not, but they're there, so you've got to follow the rules. And abalone can be taken from the 16th of November to the 30th of April every... Um, on the weekends, so Saturday and Sundays. It can also be taken on every declared public holiday. And from the 25th of December to the second Sunday in January, so basically that Christmas period, we'll call it, you can take abalone each day. So there's certain days, so check the fisheries up for a bit more information. You're allowed five black lip abalone, but you're not allowed to take green ones from Port Phillip Bay. And you're not allowed to have more than two green lips in your possession at any times. If you need information when it comes to actually the rules and regulations with this, Fisheries Vic have a great app. They do. Redmond. It's and very easy app. to see as well, to, to uh, interpret as well. And how to identify yep. the difference between the green lip uh, and the black legs. And also well. the male and female crayfish, to, uh, crayfish as well. Uh, on the back legs, uh, the female has like a pincer-like uh, uh, sort of foot on the end of there where the male doesn't. And also the females have a flap on their inside belly where they actually hold their eggs in. So there's different ways. And you can see it all on the Vic Fisheries app. You're allowed two crayfish per person. You're allowed to have a... Uh, the males are 11 centimetres from the, the carapace and the females are 10.5. And you also those, as I call them, the silly blue tags. I've actually got my tags. I haven't opened what color they are this year i can't remember but you need to put your tags on once you get the crayfish and also you need to cut the tail of the actual crayfish in itself in sort of a triangular i guess motion you you can v it out or you can cut the whole bottom bit off uh, and that comes down to the commercial selling of crayfish illegal trading yep. so that is also another rule and regulation uh when you are cooking them there is uh it's, people don't often know how to cook abalone it is beautiful to eat. I was a, I was skeptic on it for a while until Sammy Goodwin showed me how to do it. Uh, cut it thin, really thin, and cook it very similar to calamari, and it tastes like calamari on steroids. I've never tasted anything else on so steroids. So plate as hot as you could basically get. Hot as you can get it. Chuck it on there. Uh, we did last year. We did. Uh, uh, what do we do? Abalone uh, palmies and stuff as well. Like having a bit of fun because we're fortunate enough to get a few of them, and they're really fun to start learning to cook with. And it will help once you learn how to do it better and better. They are really beautiful to eat. And there's so many ways with the crayfish. You've got the boiling, you've got the butter, garlic butter. There's so many different ways. So make sure you enjoy the seafood this summer. Up next, the Social Club. You're listening to Real Adventures for BF Goodridge, and don't forget to download the new Real Adventures app. It has all our latest podcasts, fishing news tips and recipes. 
You're listening to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich, celebrating 150 years. Back to Real Adventures of BF Goodridge, celebrating 150 years. A little bit of news before we kick off the social club. Uh, Western Australia, a little bit of rock lobster action. Yeah, the Western Rock Lobster, also known as the Whites, which uh, are found off the coast of WA, right out to the continental shelf. They're about to start their migrating across the bottom, uh, bottom seabeds right out from the shallow water to the deep water. And a good friend of the show, Mark LaCroix, is a crayfisherman out of WA there, and he chases these fish religiously so if you do want to watch how they do it and basically the numbers they catch and the potting how they do it i haven't experienced it before so follow him on instagram it's really really cool to see but using predictive modeling techniques based on the water temperature uh, between october and august scientists predict that they will tend to walk around this time of the year so any day now they're going to start to do their migration which is going to see them get caught in the pots and basically you can go out there off WA and catch yourself and there's different rules and regs in, in, in when you are fishing Western Australia so please follow that regarding your hoop netting and also your potting because in Victoria we are not allowed to pot South Australia you are if you have your name and tags on them and WA you are with their certain rules and regs too so please be mindful of where you are fishing for them but they they're a fantastic eating uh, crayfish over there. Pat, have you eaten a white cray before? Yeah, I have. And, and, and certainly the way that they've set up their, their fishery over there and how they've handled the quota system, it's been such a success. And I it know has. There was a huge amount of angst when it was first introduced. But you talk to the, the fishermen over there and there's some that hated it when it first came in. And now it actually gives them balance in their own lives because rather than just going out and catching as many as you possibly can – this is the quota system. This is how many you're allowed to catch. And after that, you're done. So it takes the stress out of um, spending huge hours and days and months on the water versus once you hit that number, you're off and then that's it. It keeps it sustainable. It's turned – it's given the value of the crayfish themselves. They went from – I think before it started, it was sort of around that 29 buck mark and now it's more than doubled it. Mm. So everybody wins. So it's a great example of really managing – uh, your fishery well. I, I think it's amazing how they can pinpoint how they walk and where they walk from, like the shallow water to the deep to 200 metres. Like, well, huge, in, like million, billion dollar industry, certainly with when you take into account um, what's spent on fishing itself and then the export of it, 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 it is, you know, it is a huge industry. Speaking of uh, uh, money being spent in the fishing industry, uh, the fads have just been put out of Western Australia, which is massive for the game fish species, which include the likes of, well, WA, mate, includes everything, doesn't it, Pat? Tuna, yellowtail, kingfish, mahi, mahi, wahoo, marlin, you name it, it's pretty much going to attract it, especially in the beautiful waters they have off WA there. But last year, they estimated 5,000 anglers who actually visited the fads outside of Western Australia, which is great to see so many anglers using the facilities that are put in play. It's worth the money than the sponsorships that go in to make this happen. Because without the sponsorships and the money from certain places, this stuff doesn't happen. Yeah, and it's really important to note, if you are going to fish off fads right around the country, you don't have to fish right on top Mm. of them because the fish don't necessarily congregate right underneath the chain that's attached to obviously the anchor system uh, and the boys that are out there. They're aggregating devices and the fish will school around and sometimes, you know, a few hundred metres off it. So you don't need to sit on top of no. each other, particularly once we start to see um, them deployed um, right down the, the eastern seaboard as well. Coast. And we spoke about a few weeks back and you can you can get all of our, our shows 
um, on podcasts and, and iTunes and wherever you download your podcasts from. Um, but we spoke about the New South Wales coast and how they're being deployed and how people just light up when they see them being deployed because after you know a few weeks, you'll, you'll start to see the fish starting to turn up in big numbers. Well, speaking of the fish starting to turn up, did you see an Augusta during the week down in South Australia? Yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't realise it was a, um, a game fishing mecca. <laughs> Literally mecca. A uh, juvenile broadbill, uh, broadbill swordfish. Uh, I think it was lost, safe to say. For those that um, that aren't fully aware of sort of your, your broadbill swordfish, it's a species that's usually found... Yeah, very shallow water of 400 <laughs> metres. <laughs> in excess of four five hundred <laughs> metres. And in my opinion, I think we both share this, this Redmond, it is the pinnacle when it comes to game fish. There's just something special about it. Well, I fell in love with them when I first saw George Clooney fishing for them uh, in a perfect storm. Um, <laughs> but... There's something so amazing about them, and to see it free swimming in crystal clear waters of Port Augusta, it was quite special. I don't think the fish would be that healthy, to be honest with you, Pat. <laughs> Let's get into the social club uh, and make sure you continue to send in uh, questions because right up until Christmas, we are giving away a Dometic fridge freezer every single week with an ice maker as well. We're so. giving three away already, Pat. We I think we've got seven left. Uh, in- Seven left as of today, so we're going to have a lucky winner that you'll announce in a minute or two. So some great prizes. The first question, this isn't the winner, but the first question. Jonathan Escott, when chasing snapper, do you need burly on the bottom using a burly bucket or do you use throw cubes to float down your unweighted baits? Uh, Good question. Now... Today's show is going to be based about that with Red's review, but you've ruined that for me, so I'm going to have to do it do it now, basically. You can give us a little teaser. We'll give us a little teaser. All right. When you're chasing snapper, I'm not a massive burly guy for them. Now, what I mean by that is during or last week, I had a crazy session on them. I landed 20-plus fish in the matter of an hour and a half, and I didn't really throw any burly in. I mean, if I had a, the odd something sitting in my bait board, I might have thrown in. So you're looking to sound them up first, all right, yep. find, find ground where... Either they've typically been before or you're looking for that sort of the right structure to, that attracts them. Yeah, so the sonar, using the sonar on the mutt uh, to find, locate one or two fish. And this is what I was going to say is it depends how I'm fishing and where I'm fishing. If I'm fishing on that structure, and I mark, which I was, and I mark up a lot of fish on that structure, I don't want to feed it too hard because then the pinkies will come out and I'm sitting just... Grass. Yeah, just everything that lives on there. Banjos, like you'd be shocked at what lives around structure. Rays, eagle rays, uh, little flathead. And so when I'm actually burling on these wrecks or dumps as you as they're called in Port Phillip Bay, I'm actually off them. So I'm not sitting with my baits on top of them. I'm sitting off them and casting around it. So I'm trying to drag those bigger fish out. But if I start to burly, you drag those... So I find that you drag the smaller fish out. So I want to be off the off the wreck and you'll mark them up. And I posted a photo during the week of my Garmin with the sounder. There was no wreck in the picture. I marked fish all around it and off it and they were the bigger fish. And all the fish we caught were three to six and a half kilo. Beautiful fish. But I know if you got on top of it, the pinkies are going to give me grief. Yep. But back to the question, whether you use uh, uh, your burly bucket or whatnot, floating down in Port Phillip Bay, minimal tidal flow. Flo- throwing your cubes in will work if very well. That'll fall to the bottom, no dramas, depending on how deep you are. If you're in 20, you might look at using a secret weapon, which is 
I'm not going to say what it looks like, but it's a red tube that opens up and drops barely down to the bottom. And it uh, looks like a pleasure toy. <laughs> a pleasure toy. And it, uh, it catches your snapper, that's why. And it opens up and drops <laughs> the burly down to the bottom. That works really well. And I use that offshore in that 30 plus meters of water. Where in the bay, you're often fishing 12. Um, 12. Is that your alarm going off? No, I don't know why my alarm's. So I've got a new phone. I haven't even set an alarm on it. So I don't know how that hey, happened. She's, she's an early rise every Saturday morning. My mistake. I must, have, I must have snoozed it. My apologies. <laughs> But it um like you would have been late to work this morning. I would have been well and truly late. That's throwing you, hasn't it? Yeah, no, I'm going. No, I'm fine. I'm good. <laughs> Throwing your pilly cubes in offshore isn't going to work in that depths of 30 plus meters. That red rocket will get you down to the bottom. You can use a lead burly cage, which will also get you down to the bottom. But having that finer mist come out more is my whiting sort of technique, where it actually burlies out of the burlies out of the cage, and you're, you're feeding the smaller fish that mist rather than the cubes. You don't want to be cubing for whiting. They're eating chunks of it and they're going away, not hungry. Where the snapper, you can cut up. 20 or 30 pillies and fan it out and you can have the fish come in and, and some people burly very hard for snapper it's each to their own this is how I do it if I'm on the mud on the, in other hand, uh, on another hand I like to fish with a little bit of burly so if I'm on the mud and I mark two or three fish up I will tend to filter burly in, but not until I've caught a fish so I like to catch a fish straight away. I don't wait. And you know that there's no structure within you. Yeah there's no structure yeah and don't get me wrong you still have stuff come in but my number one rule for burling is catching a fish first. I don't fish on a mark for snapper much longer than 15 minutes, 20 minutes. I get there, I sound around, I mark fish, I anchor, and I might wait. Like as soon as I get one fish, I'll chuck a few handfuls of burling in if I'm on the mud. Structure, like I said before, I don't like to do it. Your secret weapon, they're around 30 to 40 bucks, depending on what tackle store you go to. They literally are a red cylinder that you can tie a sinker to the bottom. Drop it down to the bottom and could catch yourself uh, some seriously good snapper. Chris Tarrant, I'm assuming this isn't the uh, former magpie left footer. <laughs> Aaron, when do you use a Paternoster rig versus a running sinker rig? Is it species-based or is it the amount of tide? Uh, good question. Now, a running, it's more to – the bigger the fish, the less I want to use your standard Paternoster. Now, what I mean by that is – for example, if I'm chasing, there's so many different ways to look at this Paternoster rig. So, for example, if I'm fishing King George Whiting in Port Phillip Bay, I run a Paternoster rig, but it's an extended Paternoster. So my sinkers, so it goes braid to my leader, then a sinker loop, which, and then my my hook sits a meter behind that, so it lays on the ground. Your standard Paternoster for your snapper out in the ocean, I have my sinker on the bottom and my hook up the top with a squid ring on it. So the bigger the fish, the gummies, for example, and in the tide. To avoid tangles, I then use a running rig. So the Western Port running rig in the tide at the South Channel when I'm fishing for gummies, I only use that. And that's to lay my baits out on the bottom, very similar to the whiting. But I'm not going to go ahead and just tie a whiting rig for a gummy. So what I mean by that is I'm not going to just tie a dropper onto my line for chasing a 25, 30 kilo gummy because that, that knot in that line is a weak spot. I don't want to have that weak spot in the water. I want to have my, my, my braid to my shock leader, which is only about a meter and a half, which the running rig runs up and down, then which has your sinker on it, then to a swivel, and then your nice meter off the back of it, which has your bait on the on the end of it with a gamma hook 7.0 for, for a gummy. Yep. So it depends what you're chasing, where you're chasing, the size of the fish. That's a pretty broad question, but the tide that you've, you've said at the end of your question there, is it species-based or the amount of tide? It's definitely both. It just depends on where you're fishing and what you're fishing for. But there's so many different styles of rigs out there, but 
they, they, they all work to catch yourself some fish if you fish them correctly at the right time and the right place. If you've got a question for Aaron or I, make sure you shoot it into our Real Adventures social pages or better yet, download our app, ask a question and go into the draw every week. If you if your question is selected, you win yourself a Dometic fridge freezer. Uh, our winner this morning is Jonathan Escott. When chasing snapper, do you need to burly on the bottom using a burly bucket or do you throw cubes to float down your unweighted baits? Well done, Jono. You've won yourself a Dometic CFX, terrific result. They're about sixteen hundred bucks, so I think the, uh, the wife will be happy going into Christmas. You'll be able to put those uh, the fish in the uh, the freezer, red, <laughs> and enjoy Christmas Day. Make sure you send us a message via our social media platforms or on the Real Adventures app, which you can listen to any podcast or any previous show that you'd like to catch up on. This is Real Adventures for BF Goodrich. BF Goodrich's $150 cashback offer. Visit bfgoodrich.com.au for more info and to find your nearest participating dealership. On Real Adventures, it's time to get all aboard for Dometic Mobile Living Made Easy. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for All Aboard for Dometic, everything you need for your adventure, big or small. Salt Guides, Gwaine Blake and professional fishing guide joins us this morning. Uh, good morning, Gwaine. Obviously on the water, G-Man. I can hear that wind going. Yeah, there's a little bit of wind. Um, <laughs> hopefully it should backs off this afternoon, but it's still not too bad. It's fishable. We've got wind and tide together, so it's okay. Speaking of fishable, you're pumping out the guides at the moment. What are you targeting, Gwaine? Pretty much giving them the opportunity to fish for everything. So um, a lot of guys want to learn more about sounding for snapper and anchoring on them and stuff like that. So we're doing a couple of hours on the snapper and then moving on to the whiting because we've got some really good tides at the moment taking advantage of that and then there's a few, few uh, bats you want to target gummy sharks so just pretty much everything we can in the port at the moment and you're happy to obviously tailor uh, that to your specific individual customer so if they give you a call or they they follow up on your on your social media you can really ta- uh, target and tailor um, that experience to a, you know whether it- yeah we're, I'm even doing one um, where it's just three hours we go out we set up their sounder, discuss you know what we can change on the boat to make it better for them. Then show them the techniques of bridling, uh, using your sea anchors, sounding up ground, actually um, interpreting what that ground is, you know, reef, kanji, grass beds, where to anchor, tie rigs. We don't actually fish at all, so it's just the three hours of that. I meet them at the boat ramp before they put the boat in the water. We make sure that their transducers are in the right spot and stuff like that as well. So, yeah, it's trying to cater for everybody because obviously there's beginners right through to elite fishermen. So, yeah, it's, it's good. Red, it's clearly something that rather than spend weeks on end in your boat, particularly when you first uh, buy one or we haven't been in the water for a long period of time, obviously with COVID affecting that, it's three hours well spent. So the next time that you actually go out, you're really efficient from launching, you know, the spots, your sound is set up and everything's ready to fish. And it's a simple thing Gwaine, Gwaine does, for example, just using a sea anchor or showing a weighted burly case right through to, like he said before, your tides. And if you do want to get a hold of Gwaine, make sure you head to his social media platforms, Gwaine's Professional Services, or give him a call on 0417-113-021 and tee up a session. Now, Gwaine, let's talk fishing. What's biting? What's going on? And what are we looking forward to coming in the next two weeks? Okay, so... 
the snapper have really turned it on there in Western Port, but they've actually sort of gone over to an evening bite. So for the next two or three weeks, I'm predicting that most of the snapper are going to be caught in, in that afternoon right through to darkness, through the corals and coronet region. We've still got a few in the north arm, but they're really starting to pull up in that area where they're going to spawn and, and obviously shut down and move out of the port. So that's where your snapper are. Mining are going well right throughout the bay. Um, in the deep water on the tide changes on the rubble reefs, we're getting some whiting up to that 45, 47 centimetres. But on the edges of the bank in that three to five metre zones, there's just whiting everywhere. you just got to find where there's, there's current. Certain areas have current with, on certain tides. So you just got to work that out and, and work away way along those edges in that sort of depth zone and you'll find the fish. Something good I've seen on social media in the past few days, I know Zach from Cross Country Charters landed himself a nice kingfish outside of Bowen Heads, and I know another fellow that landed one also. That must excite you in the next couple of weeks to come? Yeah, this next moon coming, this next full moon, so the end of the month, that's probably when I'm going to start really having a good look around. I don't want to waste too much energy on them early, as much as I do love them, but um, yeah, definitely going to start looking around and probably head down Gippsland Way and really give them a crack on that next moon. Wayne, we're going to have you basically a part of the show every couple of weeks giving reports. You love and often talk about uh, temperatures. What are the temperatures that you're looking for before you really start to to chase them hard? Obviously, the, the, the moon phase is one thing, but you often talk about temperature. Yeah, so once you sort of commonly see that 17.5 degrees, 17 to 17.5 degrees, that leading edge of current, you'll actually get quite a few kingfish in that and there'll be big kings. And then once the temperature comes through around 18 to 19, that's where it's game on and you're going to get quite a lot of kings right throughout the year. And we'll, we'll get them right through till May, but um, that sort of peak period from January to sort of March. What's the water temperature you got at the moment uh, in Western Port Gwang? Because I can hear you're on the boat. What are you looking at sort of there if you look to your Garmin unit? Uh, we got 17.6. We did have 18.4 before the wind got up a couple of days ago. Yep. But, um, yeah, 17.6. So that's pretty much the ideal uh, water temperature chasing uh, snapper and hence why they're fishing so well. But take us through to Port Phillip Bay too, Gwaine. It's a little bit colder. It's, it's up to around that 15 to 16 now up the top end of the bay. Where would you be looking for a snapper in Port Phillip Bay? So Ricketts Point and the Black Rock region fishing very well. But in the next week or so, they will start moving down. We'll be getting those fish in that 14 to 16 metres out off Carrum. Um, so, yeah, it, if I was going to fish this weekend, I'd be looking around Ricketts Point in sort of 14 to 16 metres, pushing out to 18 during the middle of the day. And even in the evenings, come back to 10 metres. Now, Gwaine, some would say it's blasphemy. You've, you're moving... That's a massive word. I don't even know what it means. Uh, sacros- oh, you just don't do it. <laughs> okay. Gwaine's beautiful V17, and they, these have a cult following, as most fishos would know. You've moved from that, Gwaine, and you're awaiting a 1850 Staby Fisher, and you're currently fishing yep. out of a 1550. I've got one. I absolutely love it to death. Can you give us a little bit of a review on how you found the 1550? I think it's the most usable boat there just about is. Yeah, so one thing that you will notice as soon as you get on board the 1550 is the actual uh, perception of room. It's a small boat, but they've set it up so well. There's a lot of fishing room inside it. The gunnels are absolutely huge. We've seen them on social media. My dog, Frankie, GST, she gets up on the on the um, 
gunnels and actually lay on them and sun herself in the gunnels. Like it's, it's it's amazing little boat, very punchy. Um, Hounds are chopped really well, which is very surprising for you know, an aluminium boat. But more importantly, it's the stability. So when you're fishing in the rough stuff like I was the other day, while that anchor, the boat bobs up and down, but you don't get that sideways rock that I was getting with the deep V hull. And I've noticed, you know, I'm 46 now, I'm getting a lot older and, and a bit wiser probably in my years. It's the body fatigue once you're actually fishing that takes the toll on you. Didn't ask so how many hair you had left on your head, Dwayne? About three. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's the body fatigue that I've noticed. So instead of, you know, smashing out and getting there in a real nice smooth ride that you got with the 17, which was only probably 3% of your fishing time, it was the rest of the fishing time that was taking its toll on me, and that was that was what um, really did take take its toll on my body. And I couldn't back up fishing offshore three or four days in a row, and I can now using the Savycraft. So Savy have just released, or relatively recently released, uh, their new 1850, which is essentially the bigger brother of the 1550. Um, the decision to go to that size, obviously it's still incredibly, it's easy to trail, but you can also store it comfortably. Yeah, so I've, I've got the standard house with garage package. I can, the garage height is 2200 doors, so I can comfortably fit the boat inside the garage, lock it away, and, you know, it, it, that security feeling is really good. But it's the actual size of the boat. It's 25% bigger than the standard 1850. They've, they've lifted up the heart, the, um, sorry, the floor, so it's covering up the edges. Where normally in the oldest babies, you've got that sort of little angle coming down off the pontoons. That's now gone. They've lifted the floor up, which has enabled them to put a 150-litre tank in it instead of 100. So with the new Mercury's, Aaron, you, you know this yourself, but they're unbelievably economical. I'm going to be able to get somewhere around that 330 to 350 kilometre range out of that tank. So, you know, fishing the shelf or fishing the islands down the prom and stuff like that is going to be a no-brainer. And then the, the stability, you can go out camp on the boat at, at night because there's so much room. It's just going to be the, the ultimate machine for me. It's a really good fit. Do you know what the difference between Gwaine's um, 1550 and yours, Pat? His gets used. <laughs> I was going to say his batteries are charged. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Gwaine, we really appreciate you joining Real Adventures and we're looking forward to chatting uh, with you every couple of weeks. Uh, if you're interested uh, in securing Gwaine's services and getting him to come on board and really teach you in depth how to use your boat, how to use your sounder, and of course, chase fish. Redmond, Gwaine Blake, I'm going to let you take it away. How do we find you, Gwaine? It's zero four one seven double one three zero two one, or just look me up on Facebook, Gwaine Blake Professional. He's well worth the money. Give him a message, and we'll see Gwaine on the water soon. Cheers, Gwaine. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Gwaine Blake, he's an absolute ripper. Once again, he's going to join us every few weeks. He's going to give us really in-depth uh, reports right throughout the Bay region. Uh, Redmond, it's time for Red Review. Well, I got half ruined by our winner of the Dominic a bit earlier, Patrick, for Red Review, but I'm going to finish it, and it comes down to using the right burly techniques at the right time for each species. Now, the secret weapon, which we spoke about earlier in the show, its secret weapon is ideal for deep water. And what it does, you can load it up with pillies, 
cubed up pillies or whatever you want to load it up with. You can just use any offcuts of your burly bit of salmon, just load it up and get it down to the bottom. Obviously cut it into cubes sort of like um, sort of, oh, well, what size would you say? Probably two to three centimeter bite pieces. That's what I'd be doing. And you can get one of them for around 30 to $40 from pretty much any tackle store. Your lead burley cage, ideal for tidal fishing. Uh, for example, whiting in Western Port Snapper with your heavy lead cages. And you're looking between sort of that 30 or 40 bucks right up to sort of 70 or $80, depending on the size that you can get. So there's so many different brands out there. I use the hook and burly, uh, burly, pot, uh, burly pots and they are lead based on the bottom. So they are heavy on the bottom. Now, I say it again because it is crucial that you have the weight to get your burley down to the bottom. Now, what I'm going to use that for is, like I said, your whiting, snapper in Western Port. You can even use it offshore in 30 metres if you've got enough rope to attract gummies and snapper if you do like to do uh, to burley for them as part of your fishing uh Offshore for me, it's not something that I'd ideally choose to do, Pat, because I don't like the bycatch that comes along when burling for gummy. But if you do want to, you can do that. You've got your plastic burly pot. You can get all sorts of different sizes. Now, these can be from sort of 10 bucks right through to 20 bucks, 30 bucks if you're going to really get a big one. Not that beneficial for myself. What I would use it for is I would load it up if it's got big enough holes. If I was out chasing a shark, for example, as surface burly, and something that they did sell a hell, lot, hell of a lot of in the past, uh, well, just before COVID, was garfish. Garfish using the small plastic burly cages with the tight meshing there with breadcrumbs worked really well. And you guys said, five, 10 bucks for one of those. But if you're going to get a big burly one, you can get away with that for about $30. Your scale bag works very well for your sharks too. So you don't need to buy your plastic. $5 from Kmart, you can buy yourself a scale bag, which is going to be able to you can rip and pull tightly on the flesh salmon or in your bur- on your on your logs if you want to get it started and it cuts into the burley when you are chasing a shark or if you even sit on anchor chasing a gummy or a snapper and you've got a balloon out the back, it's well worth pulling a shark log or a burley log in one of those and shaking it up the top of the water. It's going to work really, really well to catch yourself a big shark. That's Red Review. You're listening to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich, celebrating 150 years. Welcome back to Real Adventures for BF Goodridge celebrating 150 years. It's time for Red's Tip. During the week and the past weeks, especially now that there's so many anglers out there chasing whiting since COVID's gone past and we're allowed on the water again in Victoria, the amount of people that I'm seeing fishing for whiting with multiple rods by themselves annoys me. (laughs) It's a gaff, early gaff, because... You don't think it improves the catch? You catch a hell of a lot less fish. You just can't do it. If you're catching whiting... I know you people go out there and they say they're going out there to enjoy it, catch a couple of fish. Good, that's fine. I'm talking about to catch fish like the way I do and a lot of other people is to catch them quite quick because whiting bite, the more you keep them biting, the better. But using multiple rods isn't the best way to do it. I had a bloke fish mix me the other day, had three rods by himself and all he was doing was missing them, trying to put baits on other ones. It actually gets hard, confusing and just doesn't work. The only time I'll use two rods is if I'm fishing the start of a tide and I'm waiting for a tide to start, which one will have a circle, a Gamagatu CU10 on it, a little circle hook of the likes, or and my other one will have a straight hook, a little worm hook on it, size yep. six. And I cast them out the back. I don't touch a circle one, but I have the red one, which is the worm hook, in my, in my hand. So there is no point fishing with two, three, four rods, it just, especially if you're using, like if you're using straight hooks, it's just like wasting your time. You're going to get gut hooked or you're going to miss them one or the other, which it just wastes your time and it doesn't work as effective as 
you think it's going to be, for example, like fishing for snapper. So if, multiple if the rods, if the bite's on, then it's what? It's one well, rod it's if one you're rod. by yourself. Yep. If I'm with mates, it's always one rod. If I'm by myself, one rod. Always one rod when I am fishing for whiting because you should be concentrating on working that bait across the bottom and dragging it. And all of a sudden you get your bite, you hook it, you wind it in, goes into the tub, your next bait goes on and back in and you're working that bait again along that sand. So be mindful that you don't need three rods out because all you're going to get is you should be casting to the same spot too, Pat. So one rod when you are whiting fishing will catch you more whiting than what it will having three out, especially by yourself. Red's tip. It's time for the flying gaff. And this one's pretty simple. Uh, we saw during the week on social media uh, a saw shark yep. uh, with its nose cut off. It was left on the beach. Beautiful animal. I think times have changed, Redmond, and you'll uh, admit this as well. It Gone are the days where you cut out the jaws of a shark or you cut off the, the, fins, the bill of a yeah. saw shark. Like, shit like that. Shouldn't happen. It, it's it's over. It's done. This isn't the eighties anymore. You know, people- if you're going to take the saw off it and eat the shark, as long as you use that shark for your food, it just doesn't make sense. But to me why would you leave it there? No. I don't get it either. That's I don't understand why you would even consider doing that. No. It's time to move with the time. Speaking of that, it's time for us to go fishing. You've been listening to Real Adventures for BF Goodridge, celebrating 150 years. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.